Amen. Well, guys, tonight we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible and you want to track along with us that way, we invite you to grab that and open. But we also invite you, if you were interested in using, to use the little booklet that we've provided. It was available as you came in the door. There's more back there if you need it. Simply put, for the book of Proverbs, we're trying just a little bit of a different way, especially as we get into the section tonight that we thought might be helpful. So we have the entire text of Proverbs 10 uh, kind of given to you there, so you can kind of go through it and highlight and underline and circle and do stuff that you might not do as freely in your own Bible, just kind of being able to, in a very quick moment, to walk through that. So again, we invite you to that. For you guys online, we want to just tell you, hey, the same invitation is for you. And so if you're longing for that right now, it is available on our website. You can go to calvaryrosal.com and, and under the messages tab, you'll find a little place where today's message is already there. And it says download, click that download button, and it will give you the option to download the notes. And so if that's something you're wanting to do, you can print out that PDF or open it up with a device. One way or another, it works so that together we can journey in this section of Proverbs. So with that as an aim, and we have our, the, the scriptures there before us, uh, let's take another moment. And I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I'm inviting you to pray that right now God would take his word and make it personal, that he would give you a heart to receive, and that something in this evening would be able to meet you. So let's ask him together for that right now. Father, we just thank you for your word. We believe that it's good that your word is a light that shines in a dark place, that your word has everything necessary for life and godliness. God, help us to hear it then. Help us to, to hear tonight what you would have for us. Give us understanding. Give us help. And as we leave tonight, I pray that at least one nugget, at least one verse would just be uniquely special for each one of us, that we'll know that one was mine. That was what I needed to hear. And that would be the thing that just takes us home. And so we ask for help in that, ask for you to open up your truth to us tonight, and together we just submit that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 10, it's a beginning here in the middle of the book of Proverbs to an incredible section, but let's just be a little bit honest right now, it's a little bit of a tough section. You might just notice with me as it just begins there in verse 1 of Proverbs 10. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, and, and gives us just this quick introduction into where we're going to go. That might almost sound surprising in the sense that you're like, well, we're 10 chapters in. I mean, wh why kind of say this here? I mean, it began that way back in Proverbs 1, letting us know that God worked through Solomon to give us these things, but here it's giving it to us now. Why say it this way? Well, here's where it really becomes that unique section in the book of Proverbs that most of you are aware of. In the section that runs from, verse, from chapter 10, verse 1, to almost the end of chapter 22, where in this next kind of, you know, 10, 12 chapters, it's going to be that space where God has just compiled this incredible, just, you know, plethora of wisdom for us, but each verse can be, and again, its own section of truth. I just think about it. This is something you probably understand. Up to this point, it hasn't been that way. We've been working through the book of Proverbs so far on Wednesday nights, and we've had bigger sections. Father-son talks or, you know, kind of these kind of visions from Lady Wisdom, and they've been this longer section that kind of flows in, in a place. That's all changed. And so now we're here where, as God communicates these Proverbs, sometimes there's seemingly connection between one verse and another, 
but most of the time there's not. I mean, each proverb is just a nugget of wisdom, just, just landed there for you. Some have tried to go through and find sections even in this section, but just to be clear, n- most Bible students never agree. It's like, well, I think these verses go together. Or this is a section. It's like uh, nobody ever agrees. And so it's just better to take this section as every verse just being a nugget of truth for us. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to just kind of work through it just verse by verse, kind of like the way God recorded it. And yet I'm just going to echo out for you. I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I think in one sense to be able to track because there's no continuity. There's no like building like, okay, this is built. It's like, okay, we have a nugget and then boom, we have a different nugget and then boom, we have a different nugget. And, and yet that's part of the power of it and part of, of, of the way of it. And so again, just owning that and our desire to see that, again, I'm longing that God would communicate it to you. In fact, I prayed it a moment ago, but I just want to say it again. I hope one of these Proverbs would just be yours, that you would hopefully just almost feel the wisdom of God kind of washing over you, some of it, and like, that's true, that's true, that's true, and it would just work, but then something in there is like, that's what I needed to hear. That's the nugget that communicated something to me. And so I'm hoping by the time we make it through, however far we make it through here in Proverbs 10, that there would be a nugget for you. But it was this um, section of the book of Proverbs that even prompted me uh, to kind of do this booklet, by the way. I mean, we kind of have been building it to it this way. And so again, I'm just giving you the opportunity just to mark it up a little bit, follow along with us. And so I thought I would just take a moment, and if you wanted to, write this down, you don't need to. I'm just going to put it as if it's on the last page and give you a little bit of a legend for where we're going to go, just the way it's going to work. Now, I've asked for help, uh, just feedback, and you guys have been pretty quiet. So so I'm just hoping it works. Uh, If you have better ideas, can I tell you again, I am so open. Because again, I'm longing for it to be a way where you're able to kind of just track with itself. I'm going to use colors because it's easier on a screen and I kind of like colors. I recognize many of you guys just have a single pen and so that's going to be part of your challenge. And so you might want to just do it a little bit different than the way I'm doing it. But here's what I want you to be able to do. We want to go through and in every proverb just kind of follow the wisdom, the comparisons, the way that God communicates to us. And so we'll kind of use, I'm going to use a green circle for just something that's the good cause or the main nugget that's in that, that one part of it that he wants us to understand and then underline what flows out of it where God will say, this does this, that this causes that. And so for me, I'm going to use kind of a green circle, a green line for it. We'll go the other way when it's negative. We use a red one, you know, kind of as a red circle for the cause and then the underline for the flow out from it. So kind of just a way of saying, hey, it's good and it's bad, kind of like a, you know, stoplight. Green for go, red for no, you know, stop, you know, kind of thing, and just in the midst of it. Now, if you have one pen here this evening, again, I probably should have done this a little bit differently. Maybe I will when we get to chapter 11. You could maybe use a square, a box for the bad cause, and maybe a little squiggly line or something for the way it would flow out of that. But again, hopefully it's helpful. We use this light blue line for the contrast or the connecting words that kind of help us because most of the Proverbs are a comparison. Uh, or, or somehow a contrast or a complement between two thoughts. And so we're going to kind of just highlight that so we can see that. And then one other thing, we'll kind of just note if it's really God. If, if it's giving us a wisdom about God, we'll use purple. 
for the same kind of thing. We'll use the circle for the, hey, this is God, this is his nature, and then what it's doing will be the underline. And so however that works in you, you're welcome to do that. Again, if you have a single pen, hey, I'd love to know. I mean, if you're going to use, I, I know we talked about it at one point, you could use a little plus sign for that which is good and a little negative sign for that which is bad, and that would work. Uh, just so you can say, okay, I get it. These are the two things that are being contrasted or complemented so that, again, we could just own it and kind of w- quickly walk it through. So hopefully that's helpful, but again, hey, feedback is, is, would be great. You know, if you have any, because some of you are, are much, you know, like, hey, this would work good. I thought about this. Please let me know. Well, let's dive in. So here we are, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. It begins again there in verse 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is grief to his mother. So you kind of would just look at this and say, say the good thing that's being noted here is is a a child who's walking in wisdom, that that creates just a, a, a joy. That creates a gladness for the father, for the parents, but that's the contrasting word. That's the thing that says, okay, that's a good thing, but a foolish son, a foolish son is grief to his mother. It's kind of an interesting kind of a proverb, and, and yet in one sense, it makes a statement that's worth just pausing and making sure we just feel it for a moment, because sometimes it can actually just be like, wow, is that really, is, is this as is, is big a deal or heavy as it really is? It really is. I think about it, if you want to write down a reference, you can write down 3 John 4 there in, in the side, and I'll just put that verse on the screen for you, is John writes us there in 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I just want you just to think about this for a moment. I mean, in one sense, there's probably an application to a church and to a pastor's heart here in 3 John. That's certainly true. But nevertheless, God means what he says, and I just want to tell you it's true. Here's the deal. For parents that are here this evening, I wonder how much you understand this. There's really an incredible joy. There's an incredible just delight when your children are doing well, that few things can even just kind of explain what gives you as much joy. Now, it doesn't say that in this verse, but I think the opposite is equally true, that there's really a deep grief. Uh, You know, something says, you know, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth, and I think sometimes there's almost no greater sorrow than, than when your children are doing badly. When they're, when they're not walking well. And I think that's an interesting kind of beginning to these Proverbs of Solomon that he's telling us, hey, this is true. That in one sense, there's such joy when you get this, when your kids get this, which is almost almost one of the flow outs from Proverbs on communication from a parent to a child to say, if you would get it, you make me glad, but you refuse it. It is utter grief. It is utter grief. And that's simply true. And I don't know how that helped, but I mean, in one sense, it has done me good as a parent to be able to see this and say, hey, that's so very true. So with that, he just keeps going. There in verse 2, we get the second of the Proverbs here. He says, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. So treasures of wickedness, that's the negative thing. So it kind of gives us the negative first, like that which would be hey, you know, wicked kind of produces this, it says it really has no real profit. Whatever you gain, you know, in that sense, it doesn't actually go anywhere. There we get that contrasting word, but on the other hand, righteousness, righteousness, it delivers us from death. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about it, but there's just going to be a way. No way I'm going to be able to go into it as deeply. But what I'm trying to make you understand is that part of understanding these verses is to feel the contrast. And it's an interesting way because the way God contrasts it, it's not always exact mirror opposites. So that in one sense here, we're looking at treasures of wickedness. So whatever people do that, you know, thinks that they're gaining something in wickedness, says it's not actually going to go anywhere. But instead of comparing this to the treasures of righteousness, he just says it's righteousness. You know, righteousness all by itself, without thinking anything else it produces, without any flow out of righteousness, righteousness, it's that that gives us this rescue from death. And, and he's just calling us to understand almost if you could see like everything that you could gain in wickedness, like a mound of it, like a pile of it, and he says, that wouldn't make you happy. That, that would actually profit you nothing. But if over here, all you have is righteousness, that'll rescue you without anything flowing out of that. And I find myself thinking Jesus would say that in a very powerful way in a, in a story that he gives there in Mark eight thirty six, where he just looks at this man who, you know, gains so much in the world. And he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And you lose your own soul. I mean, so what if you gain everything? What if you have a mountain of things in this world? What if you have money and homes and cars and planes or whatever, but you don't have him? He says, then you actually have nothing. You know, what, what do you gain from that? It's nothing. And so it's a little bit of where this proverb is going, where it's saying, hey, just being right with God, having righteousness, that is better than everything else in the world. It's true. It's just good wisdom for us to understand and making sure that, that we get this is right. Verse 3 goes on. It says, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. So at least here in chapter 10, there's not a whole lot of focus on the very character of God, but there's a couple places where it's highlighted. This is one of them, where he says, okay, here's the Lord. This is what he's doing. This is kind of his heart. He won't allow it. He won't allow it. Like, this is not something that he would ever see. He wouldn't allow the righteous soul. That's a good thing that in the midst of it, he wouldn't allow that to famish. He wouldn't allow that to produce nothing. That in one sense, it gives us that picture into what makes righteousness so good is because God's the one who's promising to give this. But he says, in contrast to that, he, like this is something he's doing, he casts it away. He casts away the desire, the, the longing that would be there for the wicked. And so again, you're having this contrast. Okay, so here's this you know, righteousness. God says, I'm not going to let it happen. I would never let that take place, that someone would be right with me, and yet somehow their soul would you know, kind of just shrivel up and die. It wouldn't happen. But he looks at the desires of the wicked and says, that I will cast it away. Those who reject me, who aren't going to walk in my ways, who refuse what I have, it's not just even God himself. He is going to deal with that in judgment. And again, it's just a reality that washes over us and says, that's true. That's wisdom that would help us make sure the way that we should be valuing life is to say, okay, this is good because this is who our God is. He's a God that works that. And again, obviously calling us to say, hey, that that's where we'd want to go. Well, continuing that, again, just kind of the idea of wisdom and its power of wisdom. You can turn the page to, to verse 4 there or follow along in your Bible. And he gives it to us in verse 4 this way. 
he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So beginning with this, the negative, and, he, and he's trying to focus on, he says, so someone who's got a slack hand, that's the idea of being lazy or negligent or, you know, not doing anything. He says, someone who has that, he says, becomes poor. It would become that way, but in contrast, and again, that's the highlighted thing, the thing that is opposite it, he says, the hand of the diligent, the one who would do and put his hand to work and be faithful, that is one that would make rich. Now, this is going to be a continual theme in this section of the book of Proverbs, so we'll talk about this a bunch of times, but one of the things he's wanting to make sure we have is the value of faithfulness, the value of hard work, the value that we're designed for it, and the really negative quality of, of in that sense, of laziness and, and where it goes through. And in one sense, you would think that that would just be universally understood. But I'm just going to tell you what some of you understand. Maybe in our culture right now, it's not so. It's not so. Some have kind of found themselves almost esteeming and longing for, hey, you know, hey, that somehow just be good to be lazy. <laughs> like, like somehow that's, you know, that, that can be a, another way to live life in a good way. And God's going to say no. If there's laziness, if there's a slack hand, that creates poverty. But diligence, this place of, of doing that faithfully, it works good. In fact, he kind of continues that, or at least it's a similar proverb in the next one. It says it this way, you know, he who gathers in the summer, who kind of does that, who's faithful in those seasons where it needs to be busy, that's a wise son. That's one who does it well. That's one who's living well. Contrast that, the but, you know, the, the one that would be in the midst of that. He says the one who sleeps in the harvest is a son that causes shame. That one who, in that sense, embraces that and, and chooses that, it says it's, it ought to be. Now, Again, I'm just going to pause and say, as clearly as I can give it, this is true. It's true whether our culture reflects it. It's true whether others understand it. It's just true. So part of what Proverbs is doing is just speaking truth. And again, I know this for some of you, you get it. You, you, you kind of think, hey, that's true. But I'm also knowing that our culture is so upside down right now that for some of us, there just needs to be a little bit of correction. Because some almost see work, diligence as a bad thing, like, oh, that's just, that's abusive, you know, and some would even say, well, you know, that's kind of, you know, the curse that came on the world in sin. Simply put, not true. We were created to work. We were designed for it. Uh, you know, God put mankind at the very beginning. Sin made it grievous. Sin made it miserable. Sin made it joy robbing at times, but it wasn't that us being involved or having things to do would be a bad thing. In fact, we're made for it. Think about what it tells us in Ephesians 2. It says that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has gone ahead of us to prepare that we should walk in them. God's design in our life naturally and spiritually is that we would say, boy, I want to be, I, I want to be faithful. I, I want to be diligent. But please, again, understand, would to God that we all believed that. Again, we have a culture that sometimes embraces laziness, that kind of thinks like, boy, that would be the good life. If I could retire at 30 and like do nothing for the rest of my life, that would be 
great. And I'm just going to tell you, that's not what the Proverbs would tell us. It's like, it's not how you're really wired. Now, again, if you could do that and then give yourself over to, you know, doing and serving in other capacities that you'd work and be faithful, that could be good. But laziness is never meant to be like, hey, that's my goal in life is to be lazy. But it's true naturally, but can I also again say it's true spiritually? And as much as there are people that kind of aim at laziness naturally, I would kind of say I think there's more that aim for it spiritually, that kind of think, well, the Christian life is just coasting. Like you get saved, and then all you have to do is wait to heaven. Like that's all we're really for, you know I mean? Instead of saying, no, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like we were created so we could say, God, I want to partner with you. I want to be involved in what you're doing. Like I don't want to, I don't want just going to coast through life and kind of think, well, I got saved and that's everything. No, there ought to be a place that I ought to be in those seasons and faithfulness gathering. And there is this picture of, of almost gathering in the harvest and being involved in that. And there's just a, at least for me a spiritual picture behind that because that's what we're involved in. We're involved in the harvest. We're involved in what God is doing in a harvest and he's inviting us, hey, be a part of that. Don't be one that sees laziness as the aim. Now, again, I don't want that to be like, condemnation. I'm not saying, hey, that rest shouldn't be a part of our life. There could be others that go to the other extreme on this and become workaholics. That's never a God thing. God has created us. He's enjoyed rest. He's created pleasure, and that should be balanced in our life. And, but yet, that balance is something you should pursue. So again, just saying, if, if there's a, a correction, if there's a place that just this wisdom would fall and say, you know, sometimes I think I believe the lie. Sometimes I think that, you know, laziness would be the good life, and I'm just telling you, it's not. Hey, you could, you could, you know, go and talk to people that made that their life, and you could tell them, like, how satisfied are you? How joyful are you? Like, they're not. It just does, laziness doesn't do it. Diligence is that which brings in that, and God has invited us into that kind of place, that he would long for us to have a life that would pursue faithfulness and, and being a part of that. So again, Proverbs just is able to come and say, this is wisdom. It's just a nugget that says this is the value system that we should have. So we pick it up as he continues, and he, and he gives it to us in the next verse, in verse 6. He says, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So we again, just try to notice the contrast. And so we'll kind of notice what it's producing. He says, okay, well, the blessings that are here, they're on the head of who? Those who are right. I mean, that's the righteous. The righteous are there, and there is this sense of blessings being on their head. The contrast is, again, the word but, which is most of what it is in this chapter. So we're saying, hey, this is on one side of the thing. But on the other side, we're seeing that violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So the contrast, pretty simple, easy to understand. One is righteous, one is wicked. You know, the righteous there's a place that there's just blessings. And you could almost just picture this as, especially if you have a, a biblical imagery of it, of David just saying, you know, just, you know, kind of picturing it, just God's blessings rolling over our head. And, and there's something about that. But the contrast is interesting. Again, I'm trying to tell you, it's not a mirror where we're like, okay, blessings are on the head of the righteous and cursings are on the head of the wicked. It doesn't say that. Instead, it says, you know, instead of this place of just enjoying blessings that are kind of being poured out on you, are being kind of poured on your head, for the wicked, their mouth is covered with violence. And, and understanding that is a little bit of a challenge. We're, we're going to actually see the same phrase in a couple verses later, but it would certainly have the idea of that which is flowing out of their mouth, 
but even kind of what, what, what is a part of that, like, boy, that's what you're, what's, what's being produced, maybe a little bit what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking, and it's not good. It, 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 there's not blessing, it, it's violent. It is hurtful and destructive, and it becomes, in so many ways, their life. And so you're almost just being invited to see them, as if you could look over here and say, hey, the person who's walking in righteousness, there's just blessings. God's blessings are, are pouring out upon them and, and, and his mercy and grace. And, but you look over here on the wicked and it's, it, there's not blessings and worse than that, it's, it's violent and it seems to be flowing out from even their mouth in so many ways, everything they are. And it, it obviously again of saying, hey, that's a, a, a horrible life. And again, inviting us to think, I don't wanna be that person. I wanna be the one who has righteousness, being right with God, which only happens in Jesus that Jesus is the one that came to make us right with God. And so we're longing, hey, God, I need to be made right. I need for you to do that. And again, it gives us that heart to say, hey, that's, that's what we're looking for. So as he continues this contrast, again, we continue actually in the next verse kind of comparing the righteous and the wicked, which is much, uh, especially in this chapter. He says here, the, the, the righteous, when we look at them, he says, well, the memory of them is blessed. So when you have someone who's a good person and a godly person, not only do they have that place of blessing, but, you know, as life comes to its end, you know, that which marks their life is that, that you look upon them and say, hey, when people remember them, it's a good thing. They're like, man, that person, they were a blessing to us. They, they left behind, you know, a good memory. In contrast to it, the but, the wicked, they have a different thing. It says their name rots. Their, 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 their esteem afterwards leaves this, instead of this kind of like, hey, that was a good, that person was, was, was living well and, and leaving for them a legacy that marked the world, marked their family, marked their church. It's just the wicked. It's just that when they die, it's like, man, it, it's almost rotting on the, you know, the place getting worse and worse and bugs and whatever you want to picture that kind of rottenness kind of just permeated into that. And again, a very different way of life. Again, just causing us to see life not, almost from the end of it and saying, so how do you want to be remembered? I mean, because it's a very real reality that these two things flow in a very, very different way. Once more, just inviting you to say, hey, boy, yeah, if you can see it, you certainly would want righteousness. It's, like, it's, it's a good way of living and a good way of what God would long for only found in Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Verse 8 the wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. So now the good thing that's being highlighted for us is this wise person, but specifically we're focusing on their heart. So he says, here's the thing, the person who's wise and their heart is wise, they will listen. They'll receive commands. They're open in that sense to being spoken to and, and, and being like, hey, a command, which is to, hey, don't do that. That's wrong. This is right. He says there, there's a receptivity in there. On the other hand, the contrast is this one that is a pratting fool. This pratting fool, and he says that one will fall. So again, just kind of comparing the two together. On one hand, we have this wise in heart who is listening 
who says, well, he'll be one who would hear. But this prating fool, prating has the idea of um, boasting or just talking, like they're just speaking and speaking and speaking and not listening and, and just not open to anybody else speaking into their world. He says, that's going to actually go badly for them. It's not actually a really hard uh, concept to understand. I think about it, you could almost imagine it like this person kind of heading towards a cliff and you're kind of telling him, you're trying to give him a command like, don't go over the cliff, like stop. And a prating fool is like, dude, I'm not listening. Like, I'm not open. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, don't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want, you know, and just, and they just keep talking. You're like, you're going the wrong way. Like, you're going to like stop. And, and, and yet there is this arrogance that, would jump right off, you know, just run off the, that way. And, and that's a reality in life, this picture of some who would live so poorly and make so many mistakes and, and, and fail because they just fail to listen, because they, they won't walk in that. And so he's calling us to the opposite side of that, where we would be one. It's like, Lord, I, I want to be one that would listen. I want to receive. I don't want to be someone who, in my sinfulness or arrogance, thinks too much of myself, thinks I know everything, and just, you know, but yet not open. And in one sense, it's a good examination to just say, is is that me? I mean, if it is you, well, again, what I've asked for this evening is that maybe one of these nuggets would be yours, and you'd be like, I'm listening. (laughs) Like, God's talking, and I'm listening. That would be a good thing. The dangerous place is if you're like, I didn't hear anything. I'm not, God never really is breaking through my heart that would be a scary place. And so he's inviting us to make sure that we're on the side that says, I want to have a heart that is open, a heart that would receive, you know, God, that would receive commands, that would receive, hey, you know, this is yes, this is no, this is what I want for you, this is what I don't want for you. And I want that because that's wisdom. I don't want to be this prouding fool who was going to fall off the edge of a cliff, who's going to foolishly you know, ignore everything else that would come in the midst of that, and, and he, so he's just inviting us to be a person that would listen. Well, listening's a part of it, but he continues. Verse 9 is, kind of has a similar theme, a little bit different. It says, he who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. So again, we're just doing some circling. The, the, the good nugget is someone who's walking with integrity, like if you would walk with integrity, if you would walk with integrity, says that would be security. You probably understand integrity, but it's worth just making sure we just talk about it. Integrity is kind of the idea that you're not living a duplicitous life. You're not phony, not fake. Some would say, you know, integrity is, hey, what you see is what you get. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I am one who is not one way to somebody else and say something else. You know, I'm not just telling you what you want to hear there is a sense that I, I try to be who I am. I mean, that's the, the, the goal of in many ways in our lives is to have that kind of integrity. And he says there's something secure about that. When you say what I want is to be a person who is not just playing a game, but I'm walking it with integrity, he says that would be security. On the other hand, the but, the one who perverts his ways, the one who is kind of lying and, and, and kind of walking in this perversion, he says that's going to... That's, you're going to explode for you, and you're going to become known. You're going to become that. And again, there is this little bit of a contrast that's a little bit different than if you can think about it. So integrity brings security, but perversity, he says, that's, ne- that's, going, that's going to fail for you at some point. Not only is it not secure, it's going to become known. 
I think about it, Jesus would talk about this, and I'll just put it there on the screen in a moment, but if you want to make a note, Luke 12, when, when he speaks about this, he says, you know, beware. Beware of the leaven. Uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he kind of warns his disciples away from some of the religious expressions in those days, which in many ways was all an external thing. Jesus would say, hey, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you guys look great. On the inside, it's terrible. That everything about their religious makeup was pretending. It, it, was, it was being what people wanted them to be or tried to be without a sense of reality or integrity. And so Jesus says, hey, that, that's, stay away from that. Like, that is not what I have for you. And then he just says it this way. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. He says, here's what you just need to know. If you walk with perversity, it's going to be known. That's what the proverb says there in Proverbs 10. Like if you are living a duplicitous life and so you have this place where you, you know, you speak in the dark, like you're telling, like, hey, nobody's gonna know, but you and I, we have the secret and, you know, and we're just gonna live that, it's gonna come out. Or if you are in this place where you're kind of like telling people secrets in their rooms, you just gotta know, hey, that's, that's gonna be from the housetop. So if that's not the way that you want it to come out, then live in a way that's real so that what you said in, in, in private is what you'd say in public. Have integrity so that what people see is what they get. Otherwise, Jesus says, there's nothing covered that's not gonna be revealed. Like if that's the life you live, hey, just know this. Uh, it's going to go badly for you. It's interesting, whether it's a, a true uh, historical statement or not, it's somewhat debated among some, but uh, there's an account of, of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle that at one point, uh, he just, you know, wrote this letter and put it in, in the paper. He says, all is known, flee. And interestingly enough, several people in his town fled. You know, just, it's like, he's like, you know, hey, everybody knows, like, it's no, you should run now. And several business people, they did, ex like, the, yeah, you know, it's like, you just thought it was all undone for them. And what a scary thing to live, and what a way that God would not have us to live, to a place that not living this way that is phony or fake. He's longing for us to have integrity. And so, again, Proverbs just come and says, hey, if you live with integrity, you know, it's kind of like, hey, what you see is what you get. You might be disappointed, but it's what you get. You know, it's like you're not going to find out that it's different. But if you fake it, if, you, if you're living a life that's perverse, it's going to be known. And so, again, just allowing that to roll over and say, hey, that's a different way of living, a way that he would call us away from, you know, this way that would be a pretend life, but into a way that is good wisdom into living our lives. Again, I know that for many of you, that's exactly what you're seeking to do, and that's a good place of just saying, hey, I don't want to be that. Hopefully, there, I mean, one of the neat things about being in Christ is there really is a, a longing for authenticity that is in, almost inherent in that, just a place where God is working something where hopefully we're thinking, I want to I be a person who's, you know, real and good fruits, and I want my, I, you know, long for that which is flowing out of my life to be just genuine, and so again, it just invite, invites us into the place that we would long for that. Well, it's kind of with that that he kind of gives us another thought that has some similarities to it. It says in verse 10, he who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prouding fool will fall. So the negative, again, is someone who winks with the eye or has the idea who's, you know, 
kind of tells you something, but it's a lie. I mean, you guys get it, right? Like, hey, we're going to tell them that I gave you 10 bucks. Wink, wink, wink. You know, it's like, but you know, you and I, let's just, let's just agree right now. You just go along with it. I'm going to lie, and I want you to go along with it. He says, if you do that, that's going to cause problems. That creates big issues. That creates things that only cause problems. But, well, by the way, just worth knowing, but's actually a little bit of a hard translation here. It doesn't really seem like it's a contrast. In fact, depending on what translation you have here this evening, it's uh, the ESV, I think the New American Standard, uh, quote it more as an and. It probably is better an and. Sometimes the Hebrew word that's used here could go either way. And again, it really is a little bit more that way because this isn't really a proverb that is contrasting a good with a bad. It's telling us two things that are bad. So, so if you wink with the eye, that's going to cause trouble. And if you're that prating fool, that one that just talks, 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 and you're not listening, you're going to fall. So he resets again, that reality that he gave us too. And so again, you might even compare it back in verse 8. You can go back there and just see, you know, it says, the wise in heart receives commands, but a prating fool will fall. So he repeats it here. So, so here again, so if, you're, if you have this lying just, you know, way of saying things, that's going to cause trouble. And that prating, that just speaking without listening, that speaking without being one that's walking in reality, it's going to bring in destruction. It's going to cause us to miss everything that God has for us and, and all that would be a part of that. Again, calling us away from this phony living, this fake living that is so much a, not a part of what he has for us. Let's keep going. Let's do a few more. So verse 11, next page. He gives it to us this way. He says, so the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The good focus here now is, again, the righteous, and so we're looking at the righteous, but now we're very specifically looking at what's flowing out of their mouths. So he says, someone who's living a righteous lifestyle, their mouth, like what they speak, what flows out of their mouth, it's this well of life. It's this place that out of what they say would be that. I think about what Jesus would say that, you know, if we believed in him, out of our heart would flow these rivers of living water, that there would be this place where this person is right, you know, that is a blessing to others. And it very specifically would be the mouth. It would be just what is being spoken by that person would be that. But on the other hand, he says, here's the thing, violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Now, again, if you're paying attention, you might be like, didn't we just say that? Yes, we did. I mean, that was what it said back in verse 6. And again, so there's definitely some pulls in this whole thing where he told us back in verse 6, okay, the righteous has these blessings pouring out on their head, but the wicked is violent. I mean, it's just their mouth is violent. And so now, again, he's showing us the same reality that that person is that, not only not receiving God's blessing, but instead of being a blessing to others, they're hurtful to others. That instead of, you know, being a well of life, that would people would be like, man, just, just to talk to you did me good. That's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be that kind of person. But he says, boy, the wicked. It's like you just listen to him and man, just ugliness and unkindness and, and hurtful things flow out of that in a way that would be altogether bad. And again, a place of saying, hey, that's exactly what we don't want to be. So he's giving us this and he's calling us to that place Again, just calling us to be that person, not to have that violence, not to have that place of, of destruction. The next proverb has some tie-ins to it. He says in verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. 
Not a hard proverb. In fact, some of you will recognize it. But again, just worth knowing. So the bad thing is hatred. It says if you have this hatred, if you have that in your life, it's going to stir up strife. It, it'll flow out, and you're going to cause problems with people. You're going to hurt people. You're going you're to gossip. You're going to create problems. You're going to do that. On the other hand, the contrast is love. If you have love, it says that's going to cover a multitude of sins. That's going to be one that covers, excuse me, all sins uh, in, in the midst of it. That's going to be one that walks in this. And this is one of those realities that, again, is a biblical truth, but again, worth making sure that you're on the same page with it. You might just put down a couple references. I'll put them on the screen in a moment. First one is 1 Peter 4.8, where it quotes from this verse, where it takes us in a New Testament way and calls us to have uh, this heart. You might also write down James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, uh, as it kind of just will speak that into our lives and uh, call us to have that. So let me just go and show you those. So 1 Peter 4 would say it this way. But above all things, Peter says, have fervent love for one another. For, quoting from Proverbs 10, love will cover a multitude of sins. He says, above everything else. Like, this is so important. He's just called us to have a hunger for Christ's coming, to live in light of his return. And he says, in the midst of that, hey, this is so important. This is like, don't put this on the sideline. This isn't, you know, something. You should have love. And if you have love, Boy, that would be the kind of person that covers and protects and washes over other people. Now, that raises up a bunch of questions. It might be helpful if we just read the one in James as well, because he gives it to us in a practical way. He says, Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of of sins. Probably a reference to this one as well. So he says, here's the deal. So if you're looking at another believer and you see that they're doing badly and walking poorly, you know, you should do everything you can to help them. You should do everything you can to turn that person back to righteousness. That would be a great, you would save them. You would save them from the error of his way. You would save them from destruction. You would save them from good things. And then he says, and that would cover a multitude of sins. So please understand, whatever this verse is telling us in Proverbs 10 and being kind of spoken of again in Peter, it's not calling us to be negligent about what's right. It's not calling us to ignore sin. It's not calling us to take light sin. But it is calling us to something that is so different than what's happening in our culture. It's calling us to be one that, well, maybe the easiest way is just to say it, that isn't a gossip that doesn't take delight in exposing other people's failures, that doesn't take delight in telling other people about what other people did wrong. He says, that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what we're supposed to do. We should not be people that do that. We should cover. We should say, hey, there's just you know, no reason for that. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna believe the best. I'm gonna forgive them. And if I need to go and, and deal with that, then I would do it in a biblical way, which Jesus gives us a very clear thing. He says, hey, if you see somebody sinning, in Matthew 18, he says, you go to that person alone. Like, don't tell everybody, don't put it on Facebook, don't, you know, kind of, well, you know, I just thought I'd tell everybody, I don't know if everybody knew, you know, what so-and-so is doing, you know. It's like, don't do that, don't do that. If, 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 they, if they need confronted, you go to them alone. And if you win them, then that's all that's needed. 
you know, then you've turned them back to righteousness. It doesn't need, you don't need to tell anybody else about it. There ought to be a sense that you ought to be a person that values somebody else's reputation, values their heart in such a way that you would protect them. Not in a way that you're condoning their sin, but neither a person that takes delight and their failures. And yet here's what he says. He says, if you have this heart of hatred, if what's really in your heart and it's not the love of God, you will hurt people and you'll stir it up. You will gossip. You will, you will tell people, oh, you know, I just want to tell you what so-and-so did. Please understand that's never love. That is never the heart of God. That's never his ways. There ought to be a place where, you know, you protect that and you watch over that. So again, I don't know where this is for you, but I just want to tell you, we live in a very different culture. We live in a culture that has no problem um, speaking badly of other people, has no problem uh, gossiping, whether it's, you know, around the, the break table at work or whether it's in church or whether it's on Facebook or Instagram. There ought to be, a, but there's a place that so much of that is there. And sometimes we, we have that almost propensity to enjoy that. I mean, let's just be honest, we do, kind of like the, you know, old tabloid magazines, inquiring minds want to know, like, I want to know, like, what's happened, and what's happening in their lives, but I'm telling you, it would be so much better if that's not what you are a part of, so I don't know what that would look like for you, but again, I'm just giving you a couple quick thoughts, it ought to be a place that you would be very careful about passing along information, like, don't tell anybody anything about anybody else, unless you've, you know, first of all, prayed, and, and gone to that person, like, you should never, you know, go and, and just be told, well, you know, I heard so-and-so, they're shacking up, or, you know, I, I heard this person, you know, kind of, you know, left their, their wife, or I heard this person's, you know, was doing drugs this weekend. This should never be the kind of thing that you say. If that's what you're concerned about, go to them. Go to them, you and them alone. If that doesn't work, then there is a con- continuing process there in Matthew 18. But the interesting thing about Matthew 18 is it is so much, because it's all about, we want to provide as much grace as we can. And we want to bring them to a place that, hey, it doesn't have to be made public. So you know, don't be someone that, that does that, but you might even be one that just grows very careful about receiving it. You know, it would be really amazing is if somebody was trying to gossip to you and you stopped them before they started. And, and you said, so, wait, 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 before, have you talked to that person? You know, have you, have you, have you gone to them? Like, like, don't tell me. I, like, I don't know if I want to know. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I will sometimes say that even in the midst of, uh, of, of kind of, it's like, I don't, I just need, I don't need to know. I don't, you know, if somebody's like, hey, yeah, I'm, you know, talking to someone, I'm counseling, I'm just like, hey, I don't need to know. Like, you know, if you're asking for wisdom, or you need me to get involved. But other than that, I don't really need to know. I mean, we should do our very best to protect people. What would it be like if we were that way? I don't know if we are. I'd like to think we're more this way, but I, I know this is probably more brokenness here than we'd like to admit, but what would it be like as if this place, like this church, was a safe place? What would it be like for you if you knew that nobody would be talking badly about you and if they had a problem, they came to you. You know, it's like, hey, this is a place that, you know, they received me. And it's not that I'm a perfect person, but love covers a multitude of sins. Love says, hey, I love you. Why would I ever 
want to make you, you know, be covered in that? Why would I ever want to create division in you and cause strife? What would it be like if that's who we were, where we said, hey, that's, that's what Jesus did. Jesus kind of washes us away so that when you are in his forgiveness, guess what? You're justified. I don't know if you ever have just thought that through. Justification is this incredible idea that uh, you know, some have said that to be justified is to be treated as just as if you'd never sinned. That, that in one sense, he brings us into a righteousness in him where he's not going to look at us and go, well, Jim, you're in, but I'm never going to forget what you did. I'm always going to remember your failures. And, you know, I'll, I'll remind you of them every now and then in case you forget. You know, I mean, if God did that, he could do that, but it's not what he does. He says, if you'll confess it, if this is going to be made right, I'll cast it as far away as the east is from the west. We don't ever have to talk about this again. It doesn't, I will cover that. And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, it's buried. What would it be if, if we'd say, okay, that's what I want to be. I want to be one that's more like Jesus that would say, okay, that's what I'm going to walk in. Instead of being this other place, I'm just going to tell you that would change a lot of things. But it would be so different from our culture. It would be so different from anything else that we're walking in. You know, I think about it. You know, we're kind of journeying our way through this chapter, and that's probably where we're going to stop. We'll come back next week, and we'll just pick up and kind of make our way just proper bit of time, but just allow these things to land on us. But I think about everything that's here. I think about everything that we've just talked about, and I think about this love covering a multitude of sins, and we find ourselves on the, the last Wednesday of the month. And one of the things that that is for us is it's a time to take communion. We take communion on Sunday mornings, the second week of the month, the last uh, Wednesday of the month. We, we, we long to take part in that. And so with delight, we just want to come into this right now and, and think about what this would look like and, you know, just the reality that would be there, just the reality that would walk in that. And I just want to draw your attention. I, I think about what it tells us in Corinthians. It says, you know, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. He says, we get to come and tell people Jesus. We get to tell them, hey, Jesus is crucified. To those who are Jewish, who have this kind of religious upbringing, sometimes that can be a stumbling block because forgiveness in Christ is, is, wow, really? But to those who didn't want that, who are this wisdom, it sounds foolish. But he says, you know, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. And, and I love that reality. I love this understanding. It's like, okay, here's the thing. This is the wisdom of God. This is the power of God is what Jesus did. And, and I want to tell you, it is more amazing than anything I can say. We've talked about righteousness and wickedness tonight. This is how you get made right. This is how you get made right in Christ, the righteousness of God found in Jesus. And this is how he treats us. And I'm just longing that it would be where you are, that it would be a space that as we're entering into this this evening, that there would be a space of both recognizing that, enjoying that, and then longing that we would be a people that would walk in the same thing. That there would be a space where we recognize, hey, Jesus is the way this happens, and, and, and there's a way of saying, hey, I, I want to be that way too. I want my mouth to be one that speaks righteousness. I want the blessings of God on my head. I want to be one that love covers a multitude of sins. I want to treat people more like Jesus treats me. 
And, and, and that would flow into this moment in a powerful way. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we take communion in a little bit of different way. Uh, we're going to, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to place the communion up on a little, little pedestal up here and a pedestal over there. And then we're just going to close in a couple songs. And whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready to take communion, in the midst of that, we're just going to invite you to come up, grab hold of the cups. There's two stacked together. The bread's in the bottom, the juice is in the top. You could take communion up here. You could take it back to your chair. You could stand. You could kneel. I mean, really, this is a moment between you and God. It's a moment that we're taking part together because we're here in this room, but it's a moment for you individually to recognize just Jesus, his righteousness, what he has done in Christ for us. And so we're just inviting you into that space that that would be yours. So again, somewhere in those two songs, come up and take communion. When you're done taking communion, go back to your chairs and just worship with us. It's two songs. And we just want it to be that kind of atmosphere where for those of us who are with God, who are have that righteousness in Christ, we would come afresh to it and realize, hey, this is what we've needed. This is what we have. This is the beauty that flows over that. You know, I ought to quickly say this. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. But understand this, this communion celebration is really a celebration for believers. We're remembering how we've been made right by God through Jesus. It's the way that it happens. And every person who's right with God in Christ, you are welcome to take communion with us this evening. But if you're here this evening and you're not his, then we just want to tell you, nobody's going to make you feel weird. You don't have to come up. In fact, it would be better if you didn't because this isn't really yours. It's not really a part of who you are. And so to walk through this, it would be walking through perversity. It would be a lie. It would be hypocrisy. It would be pretending to be something you're not, and that is not what God wants for you. But there is another option. Every time we take communion, we like to just say what God tells us there in 1 Corinthians. When we do this, we're proclaiming the gospel. Like, this is the good news. This is what Jesus did for us. He came to die for us so that if you want to be made right with God in Christ, that's available for you. And maybe that's where you are tonight. If that's where you are, you can take communion and, and ask him uh, to be your righteousness. And we'd love to talk to you about that more. So again, this is yours. Whether it's surrendering to God right now or whether as a believer, you just want to step into it afresh and, and allow that righteousness to be both upon you and, and seeking to walk in that. And wherever you, that lands in these next couple songs, come up and do that. So let me take a moment, pray, ask God to, to, to lead us into that. And again, we're just going to worship and long that this would be made real for us. God, we, we study some of these contrasts of righteousness and wickedness and Lord, ultimately recognize the only way to be on the right side of that is with you. And, and the only way we can be made right in your sight is through Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, with amazing wonder that you have made a way, we come tonight to celebrate that that's the cross, that it is through your death you have made a way for us to be right, to be forgiven, for our sin to be covered and cast away from us. God, I pray right now, if there's any that are not in that space, that you would draw them now, that you would cause them to see their need, they'd recognize they don't want to be on that wicked side of things, and you draw them to you. Save them even now. For those who are yours, Lord, help us to step towards this. Cleanse us even now, and just cause this not to be just a going through the motions, but a reality of longing to step into and, and honor you as the source of our righteousness, 
but allow that righteousness just to permeate our lives so that we have lives of integrity, so that our lips are that which is speaking peace, so that we're leaving a godly legacy, so that we're, we're walking in all the blessings that we've seen tonight. God calls us to know that and calls us to be a people who, like you, cover sins, that love would cover that. Help it even to flow out of this, that we'd recognize what you do for us should be what we are seeking to do for others. Would you give us such love and good, such hearts, even in this space? So Lord, right here, right now, would you draw us into this? Would you cause this time of communion just to be real for each one of us? We ask for that together, and we submit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.